Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Final Furlong Podcast is brought to you in association with AtTheRaces.com, the ultimate resource for racing fans. Thanks for downloading the Final Furlong Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Podcast Republic, and all the various other different podcast apps. I'm Emmett Kennedy, joined in studio by At The Races pundit, Mr. Kevin Blake. Hello and good evening. Producer Deirdre is here as well. Hey, guys. Uh, apologies, we were going to be joined by the excellent Hugh Taylor on this week's show for a betting special, but I'm as fragile as a ex-Barney Curly handicapper who's been lined up for a touch on the flat, uh, possibly at the all-weather at Kempton. So, I couldn't record yesterday, and that was the only day Hugh had free. But, Hugh is going to join us on the show uh, in the next couple of weeks, and we're looking forward to that. We also have a big-name guest coming on the show very soon as well. Uh, Lydia Hislop's going to join us on the show in the next month or so, which should be a lot of fun. And as a sort of apology from me to you, our loyal listener, we decided we'd get a big-name guest on the show. So it is my honour and my privilege to welcome a man who is responsible for some of the biggest touches ever landed on an Irish race course, and a man who has trained some of the best national and horses we've seen in recent years. It's a very warm welcome to Mr. Charles Burns! Yeah, how's it going there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, of all the guests that we that we you know people speculate we might have over the years, I don't think anybody expected that we we would ever have Charles Burns. So I just like to say it's it's just fantastic to have you on, Charles. And I believe this is the first you know interview you've given in public since your famous triple at Roscommon that you know set the set the racing world alight. Uh, sure, uh, I would not. So like. If maybe if you have like my my brother there or the the wife like you know, the brother and law maybe if you have the first cousin once removed like so nothing to do with me you know really there yeah. so yeah I really listen to your podcast uh, in the image of you're very good actually I don't know about your man Blake now. But, uh, <laughs> Uh, look, hold on now, Charles. We, we can cut through it now. We don't mess about in this podcast. We ask the questions people want to hear, so you you, you can deny it all you like. But we all know um, that there were seven figures plus made. What have you done with the money? What has life been like for Charles Burns ever since that famous day at Roscommon? To be honest, now I'm actually looking for a, a football team there that might go bust, you know, so I'm back to the relegated. So I might back to my car in there or something like that, you know. Like just one half thousand to one, you know. I wouldn't need to have much money on it. I'd be able to double it up there with the favourite in the first, you know. And I'll tell you one thing though, Kevin, I, I do agree with you there about trying to get money on didn't easy like you know. 
Alright Charles uh, An absolute pleasure uh, For you to join us On the show Thank you so so much Can we, can we get one For Cheltenham A cheeky gamble For Cheltenham possibly I'd, I'd say Maybe look for Stratford The other day before it Might be more my way The way things are going to Alright Charles Burns Thanks very much uh, Completely unrelated Johnny Ward From the Irish Independent Is here Hello Johnny Good evening to you all <laughs> Great having Charles on the show. One of my favourite trainers. Oh, yeah. Class, class. Um, I can't wait for, for Johnny and Charles to be at a Cheltenham Festival preview night together in, at the same time. We actually have been uh, to some extent before, but um, Charles wasn't physically in the room. But uh, I kind of had a lot of drink in me. Myself and Kevin Blake are dangerous enough now with these preview nights and we have a few, few points in us, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh... If you, uh, I don't think I don't think you're doing both this year, Johnny. Are you? No, I was uh, booked into a Dublin one. So, oh uh, no. But, but yeah. Yeah, anyone? I, I know there have been there was there are plenty of our listeners that have been at those those famous infamous Cheltenham previews in Moat um, over the last couple of years, and I know exactly what we're talking about because they they have a very good policy in Moat. The pub is called the the Gap. The Gap, yeah. The Gap in Moat. And their, their Cheltenham preview policy, well, the, the, the way they run things is actually quite shrewd because they basically ladder you up with pints for about two hours before you go onto the panel. And then Brilliant. once you're sitting on, there's three pints in front of you at all times. Nice. And uh, some of the funniest things I've ever heard said on a, on a Cheltenham preview panel have come out in that particular one just because we're all absolutely rattled, basically. Okay, so there's, there's a potential for three final Furlong podcast Cheltenham previews. One in Dublin which we'll tell you more about later, uh, hopefully. Uh, one possibly in London, which we're still working on, and one possibly in Cork. So basically the note that we have to make is that lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of alcohol beforehand. Yeah, for the audience and the panel. And if you want to go to that Shelton preview this year, it's on on March 3rd. I'll give it a plug because it's just so good. Uh, March 3rd. I, I don't know if that's a 100% decided yet, but that's what they're thinking at the moment. Just bear that one in mind. If you're up around the Midlands, around that neck of the woods, you have to go to this Shelton preview. It's absolutely brilliant. Campo Brown, the man in charge there. Great man. Speaking of alcohol, Great. Vanessa Riles on the show. Hey there. Uh, welcome back, Vanessa. Nice to be here, as if, always. If we can't get you, Taylor, we get Vanessa Ryle. It's a fair swap. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Vanessa, was I that your first that the Cheltenham preview you did with us last year? Was that your first Cheltenham preview that you sat on? Uh, yeah, I did two with last with you guys last year, and I've never done anything like that in my life before or since. Yeah, well, uh, you're going to be doing another one. Uh, but the door is open now, you see. Yeah, she's taking bookings. Contact her agent for more information. Uh, right, lots to talk about uh, this week. First of all, let's... Modus. <laughs> all right, let's get straight to Modus, though, <laughs> shall we? Modus is a horse, Vanessa, who you want to adopt when he is retired. Essentially, yeah. Basically, anyone that listens to the podcast knows that I sort of somehow developed an unhealthy fascination with a horse called Modus. And then Modus decided to let me down time and time again. A bit like when a man is training a sheepdog and they hit the sheepdog multiple times to get it to do what it wants. <laughs> I felt like the sheepdog, basically. <laughs> and Modus was kicking me. And then, just as if by magic, at as the price of 10 to 1, sent from heaven, Modus goes and wins. And I genuinely thought I will never, ever be happier than this moment right now. 
just the best day ever. Uh, those of you who follow me on Twitter can see a screen grab of Vanessa freaking out on WhatsApp <laughs> and asking why Kevin, Deirdre and I weren't responding to her. Uh, as Because mo- no, well, well, you were doing an in-running commentary on it. Wait, he's in contention. Could he? He couldn't. Could he? He is going to. <laughs> why are you not responding to me? Uh, in all seriousness, though, Kevin, and, and from a form perspective, he was up in trip. He had run a cracker in the Great Wood. He was very disappointing last time out in the Ladbroke Hurdle. But he's looked like a horse for a very long time who has a big race in him, as Vanessa has been preaching for quite a while. And up in trip and under a confident ride from Garrity, he got the job done and did it very impressively. Well, to be fair, he did have a genuine excuse in the Ladbroke Hurdle that not many people heard about. He actually made a noise in running. Oh. Woof. Oh my god Seriously <laughs> Form perspective Up in trip Significant improvement Back yeah, on better yeah. ground The up in trip Was the absolute key I think a lot of people Thought because of the way He runs his races Quite on the bridle Quite strongly That two miles Five might be a push for him But actually In recent times He settled a bit better He had his traditional hood on Which they'll always keep on him Just to keep him nice and settled But he is basically a horse That has had some All joking aside He is a very talented individual Mm. It's just He needs things to fall his way And he needs uh, To be in the right mood basically I think Tony Keenan tweeted after the race Saying if we could just get a loose horse (laughs) To follow To be in the lead in modus races a bit more often than modus might win a bit more often basically because essentially what he's saying is he needs a horse to be in front of him so yeah. he's chasing something instead of out on his own now but Tony, Tony Keane is not allowed to slag horses anymore his credibility is completely shot as, as a Cantlow backer for the cross country his credibility is gone <laughs> on this front he, Sorry. Just cannot, he can't slag horses anymore Sorry Kevin you're the person yeah. who preached the your way of getting around being wrong is oh new evidence <laughs> <laughs> so it's new it's new evidence for Keenan as well for Cantlow who's now he's now a reformed character um, Johnny what did you make of Modus and if he goes to Cheltenham uh, would he be backing him for the Coral? I think he should run in the World Hurdle what's now the Stairs Hurdle to oh, be honest um, I don't think there's much depth in this three miles on better ground shouldn't be a big problem he's not a dog at all uh, I backed him several times backed him at Cheltenham last year when he ran a shocker uh, I think he just wanted to do a trip all along um, he's basically the equivalent of a two mile flat horse from his bumper form so he probably did want two and a half three all along uh, of course I did leave him alone on Saturday but uh, I, don't, I don't think he's a dog I just think he's lacked a, a, a vital turn of foot at the end of his races and if he were mine I would go for the uh, I w- I'm not sure what they're going to do with Jetski obviously but if he were mine I'd go for the stairs hurdle the plan with Jetski I believe is to run next weekend in the Irish champion hurdle is that right? Uh, I believe no. so, yeah. No, that's what she said recently. No, isn't She was a big surprise to me well, now because when I spoke to her before Christmas, you know, she was quite adamant that he was going down the staying route and that was very much the plan. But then I, I last I saw, it might have been two weeks ago she said she mentioned the Irish champion, which surprised yeah. me. No, no. Jeski runs at Navan this weekend in that weird little race over two miles as a prep for the stairs hurdle. And if you guys are telling me that he isn't, then I'm terribly upset because I spent a day and a half doing a Jeski returns at Navin promo for ATR <laughs> that we've been running on the channel for the last three days. I actually spoke to Jessica an hour ago and he's running in the champion hurdle. Screw you. <laughs> <laughs> I like the cut of her gift. Vanessa, just play the promo anyway because, you know, if you've worked so hard on it, you might as well. Uh, there's no shame in that. Uh, what was the indication she was giving you, Johnny? Because, like, staying the staying route did seem to be the option um, for him at the start of the season. But is it possible that, given 
you're talking about the lack of strength and depth in the world hurdle lack of strength and depth in the champion hurdle as well and we've yet to see uh, the powerful Rich Ritchie horses back in action although Faheen may very well make his debut in the aforementioned Irish champion hurdle um, is it seen as a possibility to prep him for the champion and go back to try and regain his crown there or as just a pipe opener with a view to going up and trip for the world hurdle well, uh, A, I completely made that up about talking to Jessica Hankin. <laughs> oh, for goodness <laughs> sakes. <laughs> I thought that. <laughs> but to be fair, if you're looking from JP's perspective, right, he, I think Janmorth is uh, he's going for the right race in the champion. What about Campador? They took him out of the champion hurdle today, mm. which surprised he, me a little bit. He is mm. taken out. Okay, I didn't. I actually didn't know that. I yeah, apologize. that happened I, today. I, that, I that surprised me. And the York Hill's taken out of it as well, incidentally, but... Um, that's a, I, I worry about Campiador. An, an interesting one here for you, Kevin. We were on about his mark um, getting six pounds for uh, Fairy House. Um, and did you see Rashan got oh. 15 pounds higher mark in Britain than he has in Ireland? What a pirate of a man. Yeah. What a pirate. <laughs> that would be the end of that little trainer's Irish dream anyway, thankfully. Um, put it to the dustbin of history. But um, oh. Campiador hopefully will be okay for the county. Um, I think I spoke to Gordon last week. He was happy enough with him, and he said, "Sure, if this horse had won at Fairy House, we'd be talking. We'd be, you know, we wouldn't be talking about handicaps." Yeah, it's a fair point. Yeah, it is a fair shout. And um, you won't be talking about handicaps after Phil Smith gets hold of you. But you know what he's done there at Rashan? He's looked at that down royal form and said, "You know, oh, Apple's Jade, Petit Mouchoir. Yeah. Oh, he must have run to you know whatever he's given him something in the what yeah. the one fifties now when he was race Four. fit from North running on the flat." Is- Board, and yeah. they were both oh. making their seasonal reappearances. Oh. Colin Kidd texted me there. He was just a bit um, taken aback. As you would be. Mm. But yeah. well so done. It just basically said, you're not welcome. Yeah. Don't yeah. bother turning up. You're yeah. not welcome. Stay at home. Um, the good news for Vanessa Ryle is that uh, Johnny Ward's a liar. Uh, may not even have been speaking to Gordon Elliott. It might all be lies as well. Uh, wasn't speaking to Jess Carrington. So it's entirely possible that he will join... Carlingford Lock for JP and uh, and might very well run in the race displays event signage hurdle there at five go. past yeah, one so on I'm, Sunday. So I'm fine by Jesse. Uh, most interestingly, Sure Reef is in that race as well. Ah. And I'd expect him yeah. to improve uh, for close personal friend, Graham <laughs> Wiley, uh, who will also be joining us on the podcast in the build up to Cheltenham. Uh, right. So you're thinking world hurdle for Modus, Johnny, Kevin, if he was yours? No, I'd be more. I'd be more of a Coral Cup man. Yeah, same as myself. And <clears throat> and the most important of all is Modus's biggest cheerleader, Vanessa. You technically speaking do own him. JP really should be giving you the silks. Where do you want to go with Cheltenham? Um, I'd be steering clear of handicaps with a new mark of one five five. I don't, you know, for all my love of him, I'm not sure that that is going to be a winnable mark for him in a very competitive handicap at Cheltenham. So I don't know. I'd wrap him up in cotton wool and send him over to me and I'll pet him every day and tell him I love him. Fantastic. That is Vanessa Ryan, presenter without the races, giving brilliant insight uh, for the rest of the season. Right. On the same day on Saturday, any second now was winning the grade two Moscow Flyer Novices Hurdle, a race which has been a good pointer to success. Uh, it was expected to be won by the market by Crack Moan. Um, to be honest, I expected him to go and win as well. Uh, may very well have had he not made the mistake at the last, but I wouldn't make excuses. Uh, your former colleague, Johnny, I think had a very interesting line on that day in about any second now. Uh, I believe it was something to the effect of more forward than connections anticipated last time out, <laughs> which is eloquently putting it. He's a very exciting prospect for Ted Walsh. 
Yeah, he is. I I spoke to Ian McCarthy at uh, the Irish Independence Awards at Christmas, and really? he said that he liked the horse going into Navan, and uh, he thought he was capable of actually running a good race. So it wasn't a major surprise to him. I could not believe the prices that went up on Friday evening for this race. I was, in, to my mind, he had the best form. If you fuse it with potential, he was the best horse in the race. If I had owned any horse from the entire field, I'd want it to be him. He'd run once, he'd won, despite, um, you know, probably being, probably, they, they probably expect him to have a nice run. They didn't, they probably hadn't killed him for his first run, in fairness, and he bolted up in what I thought was a pretty strong maiden. I could not believe the price he was. The first price up was seven to one. I backed that. Oof. And then he opened up 12s elsewhere. What? I backed that as well. Um, he opened up, tw- I think 11s were powers is what I got on with um, via my macing in, in a in a shop. Um, you know, you know I, what happened there. You backed him at seven to one, and word went around the network. That's Johnny Warren's backed it at sevens. Push it out! Push it out! Yeah. I, 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 it was the biggest win I've had so far this year. I know nice. it's a short year. It a nice win. I thought he was a huge price. Good I man. think he's a smashing horse. I wouldn't go near him at Cheltenham. I wouldn't bring him to Cheltenham this year. I let him mature and look forward to novice chasing with him next season. He's a fantastic prospect, and who knows how far he'll get trip wise as well. Yeah, he's been quoted for races at Cheltenham, but he, he's a. I think one firm has him at 10 to 1 he's 20 to 1 elsewhere Mark Walsh seemed to be very much of the view when speaking to Gary O'Brien that Cheltenham would not be on the agenda protect him as a as a potential chaser for next season what a bloody rider he is by the way brilliant um, absolutely you know, brilliant he's, he's just the, the way he uh, cajoles horses in, in, in and out of the bridle in, the, in a sense that he doesn't get after them excessively until the last maximum moment he's never flustered he seems to have an excellent judgment of where he should be in a race and I think he inculcates so much confidence in the horses like I, I, I genuinely think um, he's up there with the best riders in Ireland and Britain at the moment and uh, I, I just think uh, you know maybe he hasn't been fully appreciated yet in Britain but he is an absolutely top-notch rider I think It hasn't been fully appreciated in Ireland It's I think we talked about it before it's Shamie Heffernan syndrome you know mm. because he's number two all the time people don't really give him full credit when he, when he, when he does what he does but he, he is very I'd agree with you I, I'd have him top definitely top five and probably not number five uh, in yeah. Ireland anyway yeah and sure yeah. you know we all know the Irish riders are better than the English ones so you can you can count yeah. that as Ireland and England if you like thankfully we have Vanessa Ryle here to prove that we are not biased uh, towards Irish horses all the time and Irish jockeys and Irish trainers but facts. then again it should be our national sport as was argued I think it was balls.ie did a brilliant article saying that yeah. horse racing should be our national sport get on that Kevin write an article for At The Races about why it should be but Obviously, right. I'd only be preaching that to the converted, you say. Don't plagiarise, though, seeing as there's a high-profile case in, in Ireland about that right now. Oh, Jesus. Um, we now talk about how disappointed and crack moan we have all there. We will get to that in a second. The thing that interests me is that crack moan is rated 142 by time form with a P. Any second now is currently rated the third best hurdler, novice hurdler, uh, in training with 143 P as well um, by time form. I mean, Johnny, you'd, you'd expect significant improvement though if he can do that looking like and being bred by Oscar looking like he's a horse who will be better over further and particularly with a fence in front of him I mean he's potentially got the world at his feet if they can keep him sound without without a doubt and you know as as Ted quite eloquently put it after race he says one thing having a tour of Navin which he kind of did you know he just he had a little day out he was kind of um, nursed into the race he ended up winning very easily but then he goes from that into taking on a horse who was bordering on favourite for the Supreme mm. uh, going into the race. He's only had his first run, 
you know, in, in December or whatever it was. And he he kind of, he still to me looked quite green at times and that he was half on and off the bridle. The dam is is quite stoutly related anyway. And by all accounts, he's still quite physically, um, you know, he hasn't fully developed. I I just I just can't say. I think I think he could well be a proper proper article contender next year. And and to me, I, I I'm just kind of glad that a, a trainer who's kind of maybe since the Fox Rock days has slightly fallen off with one of the truly great characters in racing. Yeah. For him to have a potential, like it's just on pedigree, this horse could easily get a Gold Cup chip. Um, but he has toe as well, and. You know, I, I for one, I think he'd have won regardless of the mistake Crack Mo made. To be honest, I, yeah, I, think I agree he was with you. Actually, yeah, oh. I think I think he had the momentum with him. Just as a quick aside, because so many of the JP horses have been going to Joseph. Uh, do you know how he came to be in Ted Walsh's yard? Like, did he acquire him himself and 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 get a deal done with JP, or did JP specifically send him to him? He was bred by JP. It's yeah, a- I. I- Oh, no, you know, in fairness to JP, which is quite different to the Jiggenstown operation and uh, each to their own, I suppose, he, he spreads his horses out quite a lot. And, yeah. you know, obviously Ted has um, had some nice horses for him in the past. But uh, I, don't, I don't know how he ended up with them, but Ted's a fantastic trainer and oh, yeah. he couldn't be in better hands, really, you know. And uh, it's great to see, you know, there's such a spread of winners in Ireland among the training ranks this season. Um, and, you know, Ted won't, he won't bite his tongue when he's talking about this horse either. And you can tell he really loves him. Yeah, yeah. So in, in terms I, of how we got him, to, I, I, like I think Ted is one of those trainers with JP. He just always kind of gets two or three every yeah. year. You know, Colbert Station was probably the best recent one, but he all, if you look down through him there, he always seems to have two, maybe three runners from every season. So I say that's just the case. He probably just gets a new one every year or something like that. Okay, well, loyalty has definitely been so, rewarded with this horse. What were you going to say, Vanessa? I was just going to say this whole chat of let's not go to Cheltenham with him. If he's won the top three novice hurdlers in the land then why why wouldn't we go to Cheltenham like I'm all for a bit of patience with a big young horse but he's obviously got plenty of talent and I don't understand the whole theory of swerving Cheltenham because lots of horses in the Supreme the Neptune and the Potato Race aren't particularly fully developed or ready for that challenge but that's kind of the nature of the game so I, I never really understand that let's swerve Cheltenham with a good horse it's a fair point and yeah. I mean we were talking about this last week with a view to Gordon Elliott that he seems to have changed his mind yeah he runs them yeah run it's, them instead of protecting well them going. with a view to the future he now he now goes yeah but Gordon Elliott has 200 horses plus yeah. whereas Ted this will be the nicest horse he has and he just doesn't want to I can only imagine he just doesn't want to, to take the risk of taking what's a shell of a horse into an atmosphere like Cheltenham on maybe the third or fourth run of his life and absolutely burying him there, you know. And the fact that Mark Walsh is not just a talented jockey, but he's also a very shrewd judge, that he was saying immediately to Gary O'Brien afterwards, no, nah, Cheltenham wouldn't be on the agenda for this yeah, look, He's only gone five and he's a big boy. You know, take yeah. your time. Cheltenham's there next year. Hopefully he stays sound. You know, that's just the, 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 the imponderable you have with these national, you know, fundamentally fragile national hunt horses. But um, I would knock him for, for taking the pull right now. From second favourite to the Supreme, or for the Supreme, way out to 20s, Crack Moan, what did you make of him? Like, we can put on our kind of our, our Harry hypothetical hat here, can we? If he jumped the last clean and he'd won by a length, which he might have, I don't know, I'd be, I'd be like yourselves. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be, I wouldn't like to be bullish about it. But it was going to be a very close run thing. It was, yeah. And let's say he held on by a neck or a head or what have you. What price would he be for the Supreme now? He'd still be a single-figure price, most certainly. Probably in front of Moonracer. 
given Ruby and Willie and Graham Wiley's reputation. Well, look, he's Andy Price now. He's 20 to 1 in many places. Um, I would imagine there will be some people that will say to themselves in a, in a kind of a wishy-washy supreme that were kind of crying out for something. Um, I know you're jumping up and down here with your Moonracer hat on, but um, it goes without saying someone will, will want to anticipate what Ruby's going to ride. Uh, because whatever he rides is going to go off, you know, uh, probably second fav. Saturnus. Unless something jumps out. Could well be Saturnus. Could well be Saturnus. Who, Too big a price, isn't who he? Who is not being talked about is 20s. There's a, such a champagne fever about him, isn't there? And he's just a little bit underrated yeah, for whatever reason. And, and Timeform have him rated 148p as well. So he's the highest rated of the novice hurdlers. Yeah. And he will run in the delight, I'd imagine. Yeah. Um, he was, He's one of those that stays quite well which is what you want really for your, for your supreme horse yeah. uh, I certainly and I'm sure you'll agree um, I certainly wouldn't put off anyone having a, a speculative bob or two at 20s because it could be a whole lot shorter because it's one of those if he came out and impressed in the, in the delight everyone will sort of go oh mm. there's the Turnus a little bit like Champagne Fever <laughs> yeah and away you go all of a sudden he's a much much shorter price second fav maybe even fav if he's very good is the reason he's the price he is like if you look back he gave Early Beach seven pounds, so that wasn't an easy thing to do. He's gone to the Future Champions Novices Hurdle. He's won it impressively. You might be able to dispute the form, but you can only beat what's put in front of you. He's won well. He's a Willie Mullins trained horse with the greatest respect to the owners who have had some cracking horses over the years. Arctic Fire, in particular, who was their first Grade One winner. Yeah, He's not brave. Rich Ritchie. He's not Graham Wiley, and because of that, maybe punters and betters are just underestimating him I think as much as anything it's probably the fact that he's been a second string a couple of times a mm. um, little bit of Nichols Canyon syndrome yeah he was much the same he got no credit for winning those grade ones as an novice and even beyond that just because he was often the second string and you know the fellas that that really look after these Willie Mullins horses closely are saying to themselves oh there must be a reason he's second string you know he mu- either something's disappointing against him or what have you but base and they're, and they're good judges generally in Mullins's you know they tend to sort these out fairly well and Ruby doesn't often, he gets it wrong of course like they all do but he doesn't often get it wrong no rarely so if he's jumping off them um, that can explain a lot of why he's the price he is he's 20 to 1 grade 1 winner and, he, and he's 20 to 1 Johnny Ward let's put you to the test here let's put your Willie Mullins contacts to the, se- to the test can you explain to me why Mellon is 12 to 1 and has yet to see the race course in Ireland and Saturnus is a grade one winner in his 20s for the Supreme? Doesn't exist. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I mean, Mellon is a horse that could be anything. Saturnus is a horse that at the moment is certainly not anything and he won a poor uh, Paddy Power Champions race the last day. I, I didn't think it was a great race. Breeley and Sonny May wouldn't be mapped at Cheltenham and um, I know he, he was second string, but on the day all the money was for him, uh, Ruby's horse would won a bit of a Mickey Mouse race, Ribbon Light for him out, was very, very easy to back. I think he's uh, probably quite a straightforward horse. Um, he'll give his run in wherever he runs next time, be it in Leopardstown or wherever else. But if he's good enough to win the Supreme, I think it would be a touch of champion fever, who I thought had absolutely no chance today he won the Supreme. <coughs> it, you know, so for a horse basically to emerge, uh, is it going to be the five-year-old? Uh, Mellon, who I backed purely on the basis of there being a bit of chat about him, uh, on the basis that if he runs at all, you'll probably be able to trade out. Um, but there's nothing. Silius Emery is probably the most interesting of the Irish horse to me at this stage. I think his Navin form is strong and takes me to one of uh, the horses I'd like to mention at some stage, uh, who actually ran against the runner up Joey Sassa subsequently at Leopardstown. But I think Silius Emery is probably the best of them so far that I've seen. I'd be very surprised if, if Bon Moan won at 
uh, if if the horse that's any second now beat, I'd be surprised if he were good enough to win the scream, and I would be surprised if the turnouts were good enough as well. It's it's a very open market at the moment. Yeah, th- I guess nothing has really put its hand up and said, "Look, I'm here. I'm I'm the next superstar." It's me, with the exception of Moonracer, who has been given the exact same prep as his Cheltenham Festival win in the bumper. He displayed a fantastic turn of foot that day. And there's been a suggestion he might have a run. My understanding is he goes straight to the festival, and I would have no problem with that. The Moonracer propaganda in this podcast is just getting ridiculous. And it will continue. <laughs> Listen, he's 5-1, to one, lads. If you want to take the 5-1, to one, you can. If you, if you don't, throw a dog If you don't, you'll have to put up with Kennedy gloating for months if he wins. And if he loses, if you throw a dog a bone, you don't want to know how it tastes. Uh, Vanessa Ryle, Willoughby Court was in action over the weekend oh. and was bloody impressive. Uh, in the Neptune Investment Management Novices Hurdle uh, at Warwick. Um, soft to heavy in places, no problem to this horse, but maybe we should talk about the fact that it's lovely to see Ben Pauling with another uh, class act on his hands, particularly given what happened to Bartos Hill earlier in the season. Yeah, he's a horse that I spoke about at the in the first show of the National Hunt season we did that uh, sort of like pre-season preview Mm -hmm. uh, as a horse that they have openly told people and various owners and whatnot that they've always really liked and had had plenty of potential but he was I think I said it on that podcast he is Ben said that he is literally the hardest horse in the yard to train he's obviously really really difficult in I think more his head than his body as far as I can tell and you could see after he jumped the second to last the other day, he's like wandering around a bit and a bit all over the place. And I think he's just, I'm, I'm hopeful that he's just a really big baby, but he is a six-year-old now. But, you know, he's not high, he's not been over-raced, but he is just a big baby. But I was, well, was I impressed with him at the weekend? I was pleased <laughs> that he went and did it. But I'm annoyed that he doesn't just buckle down. Mm. I'm annoyed that he... I, like I wouldn't be backing him at the festival. No he's way, not, Jose. He's not very fluent. Think, yeah, he's a bit in and out, and his jumping can. I don't know. I just I'm going off him now after being so keen on him at the start of the season. I'm now he's one of you, and now I'm going off him, which is obviously a bizarre situation to be in. But it's just annoying me that he's not really growing up. Cork and uh, again, it's something I mentioned in the other podcast that they brought his brother as well. Yeah, they brought his brother, I think, because they liked him. So they they obviously like the family. It's obviously a really talented family, but I think fundamentally it's going to end up being frustrating. But look, it's nice for Ben, and look, he won a grade two, and that was fantastic. But would we be backing him for the festival? No, thanks very much. Vanessa makes an interesting point, because Final Furlong podcast listeners are in clover with the weekend's action, because Rory uh, had a 14-to-1 winner as well, assuming you kept the faith and ignored the Welsh National run. Oh. Um no, he didn't run. We were going to talk about... Um, sorry, he didn't run. Yeah, he got balloted out. He got balloted out. Yeah. So, hopefully you kept the faith. And a good few people did. Yeah, no, we got a lot machine. of tweets about him. Yeah. We got a lot of tweets about him. Apologies. I blame the medication for the fact that I forgot that. We were going to do a betting special this week with Hugh Taylor. Vanessa's just made a very interesting point. This is a horse that she had to follow. Presumably, Vanessa's loaded with gravy now over the, after the weekend. But just because it's a horse that you've pointed out at the start of the season doesn't mean that you have to stick with it the whole way through. And that whole Kevin Blake new evidence comes into the equation here. Vanessa's been put off by what she saw, despite it's an eighth-linked win. 
you get that logic oh yeah it's the fundamental folly of um, horses to follow the whole concept and I think it was my might have been me and Tony talked about it on here not so long ago very that, reluctant to oh I don't like that sort of thing at all because yeah. my interest in a horse tends to I'll, I'll see a horse run I like the run it'll come on my radar and I'll have a set of conditions in my mind for that horse when those conditions arise I may well have a bet and win or lose that that's probably going to be the end of my interest in him so let's just say for theory's sake you see a horse run over two miles on soft ground and you think two mile two firm ground on the on a right-handed track or something to that effect i want to back it at a price yeah because the, th- the 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 hope is and generally like the whole my betting would be all geared around based generally like excusing a bad run like I, I might like that example you give. I might see a horse run over two miles on soft ground, and I might, and it might run poorly. And I take the view right that horse clearly doesn't want soft ground, and he wants a bit further. So when those conditions combine, he might be overpriced next time. Maybe that might occur next time. It might happen in two starts time, but he'll get those conditions. He might be sixteen to one, and I'll go right. I'll take my chance, and he might run absolutely horrendously. In which case, I go okay. I was wrong, and move on. Or he might go and win. That's it, great, I've won. But then he's going to be, more than likely, there's going to be no juice in his price next time, even if he has the conditions. So I'm probably going to walk away from him anyway. You know, that's just the, the nature of my betting. And I imagine a lot of people are in the same boat. Yeah. Because the last, like, it would be, God, I could probably count on, on one hand, maybe two hands over the last three or four years, the amount of horses that I have backed, maybe, let's say, three times without them winning. You know, a horse, as in one that I kept going back to. Um, very rare for me to do that. Um, sometimes to my cost but generally I don't I'd be very conscious of, of a cliff horse yeah. forming Gabriel's caca yeah <laughs> yeah like, like truth be told no, truth be told I only like Dan Pauly for the gold cup jeez uh, I'm, I'm stuck with him for life now <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the Grand National advice. but that, that book that I mentioned last week which I, I do highly recommend Against the Odds if you can get it by You're David Lee Priest making so much commission there's, on this there's book. a follow up yeah, da- David's giving me 35% of each sale tell you what if he is giving me 35% of each sale but I got a tweet from one of our uh, listeners saying Emmett I'm going to need a fair bit of gravy to be able to buy this book it's on Amazon for $125 look lads the the, the alternative is obvious it can be done by Kevin Blake 50 euros I'll give it to you for 50 euros which is just what I was going to say and I'm getting a 35% commission for that one as well lads if you can get 50 euros for it I'll give you 20 I'm a nice guy Uh, it shouldn't be that price but it is an excellent book if you can get it for like a reasonable price Kevin's book should be 100 euro obviously but um, against the odds and the betting edge were the two that, that really turn my betting days around um, in terms of Cheltenham for Willoughby Court oh no not for me okay Johnny yeah he, he was he, I like the way he did it but um, JP's horse ran an absolute shocker um, oh awful oh yeah all the money again yeah, um, yeah. Second, I think, I think, second time in a row Johnny that that horse has been absolutely punned they've punted the ears off him yeah. In fairness, now in the handicap, he ran grand. Uh, yeah. I thought he knows he was well clear at third, but he was one of the first beaten, didn't jump. Uh, I'd say he's still a nice prospect, but um, yeah, I'd be surprised if Willoughby Court were good enough to win a children. All right. The it's race pretty after- clear in the festival betting where Willoughby Court stands. It was a nice grade two win, but I think we can just take that and leave it. Yeah, wiser words, Vanessa Ryle. The race straightly after that, the 335, is the Betfred Classic Handicap Chase. And Rory Delargy landed the touch. With one for Arthur getting the job done for the North, Lucinda Russell and Derek Fox who gave this horse an absolute peach of a ride. Um, Grand National is now very much on the agenda for this horse, Johnny. 
Yeah, it uh, was a peach for Roy, to be fair. Um, I, 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 the, the Grand National is a funny one for me. I I wouldn't, I just about look at it the day the day it's on. It's one race that I think does not interest me at all. And if, if you're on what? about one for Arthur. Yeah. It'd look, be, Johnny, just uh, back down Poli and start counting yeah, out the days between now exactly. and then. Exactly. Yeah, I think yeah, I think he may well go for that race. Um, but anyway, yeah, the the Grand National doesn't do it for me at all, actually. And um, fair play to one for Arthur. Yeah, he did the job. It was a very very cool ride from the back. Um, yeah, it just I wouldn't have much more to say about it to be honest. Vanessa Ryle's thoughts clearly are a bit similar to mine. It's a what Grade Three handicap chase for slow horses. It's not something I'm particularly <laughs> fond of. I don't believe this. I was expecting Vanessa to be like full of enthusiasm for this race. Let's move on to Kevin Blake. Meh. Oh, God almighty. <laughs> right, look, I hope you followed Rory and you got it right off and Rory will be back. Poor, poor old Rory. Imagine him listening to this at home going absolutely nuts. Yeah, after, after you Philistines. Advising a 14 to one shot and then you're all slamming the Grand National as well while we're all filling up. Deirdre is constantly running around to shops to get on Don Bowley for us on a constant basis. So, um, yeah, look, I... I, so I right, Rory, we love you. I very much love the Grand National and uh, one for Arthur might be a danger to the mighty Don Bowley in the day but only an honourable second to him uh, when, when Cooper is there doing the McCoy celebration coming over the line imagine Johnny is there any other uh, horses that you want to highlight from the weekend I am beginning to have a develop a massive regard for Barra uh, the mayor who won at Fairy House I think she is going to be really really good and uh, I was talking to Eddie O'Leary during the week and I was pleading with him to try and enter for races further than the mayor's novice race because I think two and a half to three miles I think she's going to be a really really good filly something like sort of Solarina, something like that. I, mm. I just oh. think she gallops, gallops, gallops. She absolutely bolted up, uh, probably against Kate Abbey. She was, may not have been quite at her best. But if blow by blow isn't running at Cheltenham now, which he's not, um, it may open up the door for Barrett to run in the Neptune. Um, I actually asked Barry Oren Bedford to put her into the market today if he could, uh, just to back her at a price. I think she I think she could run very well. I, I think she's very, very smart. I will come back to this horse and get you to elaborate a little bit further on it. But can I point out the fact that she was second to invitation only, who was then disappointing last time out? Is it? Yeah, he didn't run his race at Navin. Um, so now th- you would yeah, be confident I, enough that we can just strike a line through that and, and begin to believe again that this horse is actually significantly better than you showed that day? The invitation only run was at Gorn on Good to Yielding, looking at it here now, and that was her first run um, in the Guts in over a year. Mm-hmm. And I think she wants, quite possibly wants three miles. I think... If she ran in the Neptune or the Albert Bartlett, um, I think she'd run a big, big race. And I think she's only improving. She's a really good jumper and she just gallops relentlessly. Um, and I, I wouldn't, the, the invitation only thing wouldn't bother me at all. I'd say he's better than he showed at Navin as well. And it, it's, it goes to show Joey Sass's form obviously ties in with Silius Emery. And maybe yeah. Silius Emery has, um, you know, the, the best credentials of our novices for the Supreme. But I would advise everyone to keep an eye on this this filly. I think she's going to be really, really good. Okay, so Barra and invitation only. And one more for the weekend racing from me is just a sort of like kindness shout out to pair of brown eyes. Ah. I reckon one day he will win a big handicap 
and we will all be delighted because it's hard not to love a horse like that. And he was beaten yeah. by Baldark at the weekend, who is basically a graded horse in a handicap, and yeah. he had to give him a good few pounds. And so the outcome was almost inevitable. But yet again, he put his head down with those big ears flopping and <laughs> tried his heart out. And I just, he is one of those horses. Johnny Burt was on ATR on Sunday. Shout out to him as well because he's bloody good in the saddle, but he's also bloody good in front of the cameras. He's great on getting on job, Friday night. Yeah, he's on getting on Friday. Brilliant. And then on he it. stayed in the UK and then he did some pundit work with John Hunt in the studio on Sunday. And for a lad who's only just turned 21, he's just top class. I yeah. know we've had him on the podcast before, but mm. he's a great guy. And hopefully um, again very soon, by the way. You've just you've kind of given the game away there, but hopefully Johnny will be back on very soon. Um, but no, he was also very keen on pair of brown eyes on Sunday, just in terms of like, he's one of those handicappers who will eventually land a big pot. He just will, right? I mean, am I <laughs> clutching at straws? Like, he must eventually win a big pot. Please, someone agree with me. No, I think he will. I don't want to say he deserves it because, you know, horses have to go and get the job done, but he, it's going to come. It's going to click for him one of these days. Um, Gordon Elliott watch, €59,000 netted in the championship trainer race with Baldark. He's winning another big handicap chase. Um, Tony was making the point that he's got all of these handicappers that can compete in these very valuable races, whereas Willie might not, and that could be the huge difference come today. It will be. Yeah. And um, I was looking this up earlier today, right? How many handicap chase winners has Gordon Elliott had in Ireland this season, would you think? Oh, loads. Over 20? So he's won the Galway Place, the Kerry National, the Munster National, the Paddy Power, the Dan Moore, and the Troy Town. Now they're all the you know the elite premier ones. sort of chase handicaps. So there's six, right? Apart from that, he's won two handicap chases in Ireland this what? season. Really? So he's basically hmm. whatever way he's done this, he's managed to put all the eggs in the good race baskets. And when you think about the Grand National Perry House, right, which is worth half a million, Willie probably has very little chance of winning that. He doesn't mm. he's a terrible record with handicap chases for, for reasons that are probably fairly obvious really, you know, he just they're, they're, they're generally maybe a bit too high and his horse are too good. Gordon is gonna have so many chances in that race. You see the amount of entries he has for the race at the weekend and the Thiestes. And that is why I think he's going to win the title this year. Well, I see he he's... Be, so I'm just looking at the prices here. How... He's been like... Willie was sort of a shade of odds on there before Christmas. He's now 2-5 to five and Gordon is 7-4. to four. You'd be brave enough now at 2-5. to five. And even, you know, at around even money, I was sort of thinking, oh, Willie's... The, once once he gets rolling and coming up to punches sound, he'd be I, hard to beat. But I he's, would take he's the 7-4. He's a little bit short now. Because like you say, Gordon will have literally a dozen runners in the Irish National. Yeah. And that's worth a fortune. Yeah, and you, you. The other thing that needs consideration here is that these are two very um, determined guys who, notwithstanding whatever nonsense Gordon says about having no chance, and Willie's probably been a little bit more um, accurate in terms of his own assessment. These are deeply competitive guys, and and Willie gave the British Championship last season one hell of a go. Yeah, and if it comes down to sort of the end of the season, Gordon would quite conceivably throw a lot of eggs. Uh, into the basket of trying to win this. I'm not sure why this eggs in a basket analogy continues with me, but he's going to try to <laughs> And all those kind of lower grade horses, I'm sure he's on back him as well. Willie doesn't really have that. Um, and he, Gorgeous has far more horses than Willie to run. So I think he's going to, you know, just keep tipping away at it. And it's uh, it's just, usually it's something that wouldn't interest us in the slightest. I think it's fascinating because I know, know the two individuals involved somewhat well 
I think this is definitely on their mind more than they let you let you believe. Ball Dark has improved significantly. Ball Dark got unbelievably good ride by Jack Kennedy. If what's his name, if Tabob had won that race, you'd have people saying, oh, why didn't the jockeys go after him? They gave him a soft, they gave him a solo, right? And then if a jockey had actually gone after Tabob, and inevitably the horse fell into an absolute hole, yeah. and nothing would be said about it. So Tabob, who quite ludicrously was back to something like 11 to 10 in running, <gasps> despite his race a 10 to 1 shot who hasn't run to form in a long, long time, uh, he obviously falls into a hole. And Jack, whose horse was off the bridle, this guy is 17 years of age, and he's doing, like, in terms of his pace assessment in race, is unbelievable. But it just shows, like, you know, most of the time jockeys who don't go after a tearaway are right. And I think Jack is... I don't, what more can we say about the kid? He's phenomenal. No relation. But, like, this guy's got <laughs> such a promising future. Did I... you say you were a promising future? <laughs> <laughs> I give you that, I'll give you that 50 quid later on, Johnny. Like, I suppose, you like, sometimes we can get too excited about the, the young lads, though, can't we? Like, I we know, can. like, in terms of the speed of his rise, it, it's pretty unprecedented. The only one I can recall in my time, I suppose, was Paul Townend. Yeah, who sort of, yeah. and that, he wasn't. He didn't come up as fast. He came up very fast, but he didn't co- come up quite as fast as Jack. You know, I personally, I don't know how it would work. I'm just talking. I'm just thinking out loud. But I would be in favour of some sort of rule there that that slows down apprentices and conditionals that they can't ride out their claim too fast. Even in a case like Jack, who is clearly you know robbing people yeah. having an allowance. I think in the interest of the rest of the population, the guys that aren't going to be stars, I think because sometimes. It's such a sort of a fashion-based industry and when a guy gets hot, everybody wants to use him and all of a sudden their claim is gone and nobody wants him. They get discarded like, very, very quickly. And I don't want, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking negatively about the fella now, but Johnny Burke could be put up as an example. A lad that yeah. was getting huge talk for there about two seasons, had a big job, was riding loads of winners. He's lost his job now because, you know, true great, true no fault of his own. That's just injury, though. Um, and he, he's, he has injuries. And but he's that, had bad injuries. Oh, but he is. But he just, his rate has, his rate has slowed down. His rate of success has unquestionably slowed down. And I think these young lads can be a victim of the, the fashion-based um, the, the fashion based way a lot of people approach the game trainers, owners they all want to be with the hot guy and I don't think that's while the lads may feel on top of the world at the time I don't necessarily think it's in their long term best interest to be allowed to ride you know 50 winners when they're claiming when they're claiming 5 or what have you I completely take your point and I don't know if you saw the opening show on Saturday morning with Ollie Bell but he was he had Lizzie Kelly on and he asked her how has your life changed since the grade 1 and unbelievably refreshing honesty. I mean, Lizzie could have sat there and said, oh yeah, life's great, I'm grade one winner, fantastic stuff. That's not what she said. It didn't. It didn't change. It's not like all of a sudden the industry started recognizing her and saying, right, Lizzie, you're a grade one winner, we want you in this horse, we want you in that horse. And she's proven this season, it was tough for her at the start of the season, but she's proven she's a talented jockey. Like, it, it goes for both males and females that when they're conditional jockeys and they prove that they've got a bit of talent or they're running hot, Trainers want them, owners want them. The second that claim is gone, a lot of them get discarded. And it's mad because they're the same jockey. You know, you see the likes of, um, like Danny Mullins was another. Remember when he first came on the scene as an yeah. apprentice, coming off the pony race circuit, he was going to be, a, you know, how many times did we hear Danny Mullins, future champion jockey? Yeah. And he went so quiet there for a couple of years, was red hot while he had his claim, went quiet and fair play to him. He kept going, stuck the head down. And now he's established as a, as a fine, rock solid rider yeah. with, a, with a good job and is riding plenty of winners. But it, doing well I just Willie. think it's very tough on those lads and they need to be protected a little bit mm. because at the end of the day, yeah. like we, we're talking about Jack who's 17 years of age you know these lads should be in school 
and you know we're yeah. allowed the system allows essentially for them to be in their their prime in many cases when they're 16, 17, 18 and they yeah, get to 19 and some people will say oh Jesus he's, you know, he's gone at the game claim gone nobody wants him anymore you know I don't think that's fair in the young lads yeah, no, but I, I don't agree. I think that, you know, Danny Mullins, as you've just highlighted, is a prime example of how they should do it. Of course, the novelty of these young lads wears off because that is how life goes. The novelty of any new thing does eventually wear off and then we get bored of it. And that's just what happens in the jockey world. But look, Danny Mullins is prime example, just exactly what you said. No, he's, he's, he's an exception. He's, he's not so much an example as an exception. Side. Well, you could also it, look at a man who lost his like, job this season. Adrian Heskin, who is absolutely, must have been at a very low ebb when he lost that job and is now doing better than ever. Well, that's just an Ireland-England thing. You know, you could take the likes of, I could name you, uh, like the likes of Gary Carroll, Connor King, um, a few others I'm talking on the flat at, at the moment, obviously. You know, lads that, you know, were very, very hot, you know, champion apprentices, and they don't ride as many winners these days. If any of those took made the splash to England, they'd be, you know, they'd, they'd be right now a heap of winners. But it's not yeah. always but an, it's not whole, it's not an option you know, for you everyone. Can you can choose how fast you want to lose your claim. No, you can't really not, though. You can't really. You can't you, can. you can't say no to rides when no. you're in that position. You yeah. just can't. A uh, trainer, sometimes trainers, I remember uh, was it Andrew Balding with Oshin Murphy? He did, he he said at one point, right, he's only riding in races worth over X because we're minding him. Yeah. And that's a yeah, very that's a very rare thing because it's weather. in because it's in the trainer's interest, and not, not everybody is aware. But it's in the trainer's interest for these apprentice jockeys to ride a heap of winners because they there's financial benefits for the trainer who an apprentice is signed on to. It, it varies. It depends on what deal is done. But the trainer gets a percentage of, of the, the apprentice's percentage when he rides winners, not just for him, but for anyone. Mm. You know, so it's, if you want to look at it cynically, you know, some trainers uh, having a good apprentice is better than having two good horses in the yard. And to it, to it's in their interest to keep those apprentices turning. And uh, like, I, like I say, a cynic might say, well, these trainers just want these guys to get in, get a bit of hype about them, write out their claims, and then they can ship them on and get in a new apprentice and start all over again. And I, I just wonder, fundamentally, are, should we be allowing this to happen? You know, in, in the, and look, I, you can't make rules based on exceptions like Jack Kennedy. Jack Kennedy no. could have, Jack Kennedy could have started off uh, with his first ride in the race course with no claim. And he would have worked out just fine yeah. because he's that good. But you can't make your rules based on the exceptions, you know. And I think, and I've thought about it a bit, though. I don't know how, I haven't thought about it deeply enough to know how you'd do it. But there surely has to be some sort of a way that we can make it to limit riders to X number of winners in a calendar year or something like that, just to encourage them to slow down a bit. And that's in their interest, too, because they'll still be in demand. Yeah. And they, But it'll just keep them in demand though, for longer. If you, if you can ride well, you'll make it. Okay, like, oh, not necessarily I, though, Vanessa. Like, fashion, fashion's a terrible thing. There, there's an awful lot of lads sitting in the Irish weighing room, especially because it's so competitive, that are absolutely deadly riders. And if you put them in any other country in the world, they'd be right up there near the top, but they're not. As I think those lads could be helped out a little bit. Look, that, that's obviously a product of the competitive, competitiveness of Irish racing and the fact that, you know, a lot of the best horses are concentrated in a small number of hands, so on and so forth. But I, I just don't know if we, we do these young lads enough of a service. You know, to to have them effectively, um, you know, not nearly as attractive it, it, going forward in their profession at 18, 19 as they were at 16, 17. I think Johnny's been trying to get in for a while and I'm going to let him in in a second, but I will make two points. I think, first of all, Jack Kennedy obviously is 
phenomenal. And so too, by the way, is David Mullins, who won the Grand National last season and then followed up on Ivan Grozny in an ice-cold yeah. ride uh, against his against his peers, which was, you know, he could have easily have been losing his mind having won the biggest race of the season and yet he gave that horse a, a brilliant ride. I think the way Gordon talks about Jack, he's protecting him. And he and I, I think that's yeah. I think that's clear. And there are trainers like Paul Nichols and Harry Durham retired for whatever reason. But I remember the way he talked about him. He was protecting him as well. So there are trainers who will go out of their way to ensure. And and I think Willie and and Gordon are particularly Noel Mead would be an example of that as well. They do their best to protect them. But it's easy to protect them when you have someone like Jack Kennedy. It's the guys that aren't as good as Jack Kennedy that need the protection more than Jack Kennedy does. Yeah, like the thing about Jack is he's he's extremely um, laid back. You know, he, he's really really laid back. He's he's hard to uh, a guy that's kind of hard to get into an excited state at any stage, and that'll stand to him. And I like the way Gordon said, you know, this lad mucks out with everyone on Monday. You know, there's no. Your grace with about this fella and uh, when I was at those awards at Christmas you know Jack was there and like he was probably the only person there who couldn't even drink and it's amazing what he's achieved at a young age I, I do take what Kevin is saying I think for most jockeys to have done what he's done in the accelerated manner that he has would, would be worrying but in general I think in riding in Ireland if you work hard and you stay away from messing in terms of maybe drinking and turning up late for work if you do the Andrew Lynch on it, where you you basically travel all over the country to get rides with various jockeys, I genuinely think reliability and hard work uh, is rewarded. I think if you see, yeah. with Dunham, you know, and with Dunham Myler on Sunday, um, a lot of owners, quite a lot of owners, particularly in the national game, are deeply loyal to previous riders. Dunham Myler is riding a hot favourite and a handicap claiming. And I, I think generally you do get your reward if you if you work hard enough. And and as we all know, it's it's a small enough pool in Ireland. You know, so many, so such a high percentage dominated by such a small amount of jockeys. And um, so I, I think in fairness, Jack is such an exception as Kevin alluded. It's hard to draw any comparisons. But uh, you know, if you work hard, I think you're reward. I totally agree. Uh, as do I, by the way. Uh, one last horse I want to mention from the weekend: Johnny Balioshin. Is it a very? Oh yeah. He's been highly regarded for quite some time and was impressive at the weekend. Yeah, I thankfully backed him. I th- thought they got the better bit wrong with Balioshin. I thought he should have been favourite. Very exuberant. He's very exciting. I have to say, it was great to see him go into a fence and Garrity probably thought, you know, I've no option here but to basically take the bull by the horns and he's very exciting. Yeah, he's only six as well. Like, I mean, I know, yeah. I know he was third to Limini. Uh, it's a nice line air ball cup type. Yeah, exactly. He's he's a very, and particularly for Enda as well, great to see him having an exciting horse after, I suppose you'd look at Gil Gamboa as being the last one. I mean, obviously he's got the mighty Cantlow to look forward to and <laughs> Josie's orders to come back but he's so associated with um, on the fringe who he's done such an amazing job with and spot the difference and Gar Petra and yeah. these incredible horses who he's rejuvenated over the years and, and managed to keep going and, and give longevity to their careers but it's great to see him get a young horse like this and possibly I know he's been pitched in as a stand up and fight's been pitched in at the top level a good bit he might be able to improve but this guy in particular looks like he's got a really really exciting future yeah. that's a review of the weekend's action Sky Sports News last night were all over this story <laughs> This is insane. I mean, I've been following horse racing since I was 12. I've never, ever seen anything like this. Australia, jockey decides, ATR recovering it as well. A jockey veers out of his way, bulldozes a horse, and you're thinking, what's happened here? Has he just lost his mind? But Kevin Blake, as we record this on Wednesday night, 
the actual full story came to light yesterday. Well, I don't know if it did. I think people might be putting two and two together and it could well be 100% right. But if you haven't seen the video, it's been viral for the last few days. But the race in Australia, this lad is... um, this lad is riding a 50 to 1 shot. His name is Josh Cartwright and he swings into the straight. He's quite far back in the field. But in what is, I don't think it's exaggerating to say, one of the most remarkable, deliberate moves in a race you will ever see in your life. He goes hard right-handed and smashes into two other horses that were yeah. finishing down the outside. Like properly, like the most deliberate, dangerous act I think you'll ever see on a race course. And uh, nearly, nearly knocks the, one of the jockeys out of the saddle. Yeah. And then it transpires that the horse that at the time was in a clear lead and w- was lo- looking like going to win clearly at the time, ended up just scrambling home, was ridden by this Josh Cartwright's girlfriend. It doesn't look good. <coughs> like, like in, in the, it's, it's quite funny. It made a, it made like a, a mainstream story. But this lad's Would getting warned off for a long time. It's funny in the sense that nobody got killed. And nobody got could badly injured. easily have. One of those horses could have been seriously injured if oh. they clipped heels, which could very, very easily have happened. Remember when Jamie Spencer pulled across, was it All Too Beautiful on Mick Canaan? Oh, that he was just horrendous. got the job. Yeah, yeah. He'd just taken over from Canaan. I, I can yeah. only hope you do this for Denise. You would have done the same thing. Uh, Denise? Deirdre? Who's Denise? <laughs> and who's Denise now? I'm wrong. I don't, I only, You're I only getting me in trouble now. <laughs> Kevin, do you have two phones? Deirdre, have you spotted him with two phones? I didn't oh. wonder what that was up to. Funny enough, Deirdre has two phones. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Maybe Denise is a bit... I don't know. Uh, <laughs> who, who knows? Oh, Lord. But this this was oh, this was insane. He is going to get a very lengthy ban. He, uh, he's up, I think, next week or the week after, and he's going to get hammered with a ban. Yeah. They've stood him down, you know, until the ban. I think he, he's all, he's a big heavy lad, seemingly. He'd already taken out a dual licence as, as in a jockey slash trainer licence. So his, his eyes were on training. Um, but he's going to be training very soon because I don't think they're they're going to they're not he's not going to be allowed to ride for oh and they don't mess about in Australia Would he's, they let he's him getting train? I'd imagine so I, this shouldn't affect his trainer's license I wouldn't think but you never know he's he's going he's going to get a seriously long ban this might break records like if you saw it in a cartoon you think it was ridiculous yeah it was something like you're doing a video game when you were getting bored like. yeah like, this like dastardly and muttly <laughs> G1 jockey <laughs> trying to stop Penelope <laughs> Pitstop. <laughs> I don't understand why he even needed to do such a deliberate move when the horse in front, he wasn't ever going to catch the horse in front, was he? Well, the one that he bumped into was starting to reel off with a bit of a run and ends up still finishing quite close. So you can only imagine he was drunk on love. Yeah. <laughs> he's drunk on love and he's decided to take out as many other horses in the race as he possibly can so his girlfriend can win the race. Uh, of course, we know jockeys jockeys don't bet and never, ever bet. But you would, one would think by his actions that maybe himself and the missus had a right punt on the one the missus was right. Stop. <laughs> Uh, no, that that was just insane. And if you haven't seen it, I mean, look, if you're a racing fan, if you're a fan of this show, I'm sure you have seen it by now. But if not, YouTube Everyone's that. It is it. absolutely bonkers. Kevin, your blog this week is very interesting. <laughs> I actually read it. <laughs> it didn't your arse. Now, I say I read it. I had Siri read it to me because I was uh, walking at the time. But no, I have. Oh, God. I have read it. And it was a very well-written blog, which is available to read on the At The Races website. You're talking about non-trier rules. Can you expand on this for us, please? Because... The Irish Turf Club have finally 
announced the changes that they're going to implement? Yeah, I'll keep it as succinct as I can. Basically, after the Noble Emperor affair last year, which was an absolute mess and a farce, followed by the pyromaniac mess and farce, um, it became very clear something that we all sort of knew for a while, that it's just very... The the existing non-Shrier rule that the Turf Club were using was just too vague to to be effectual. They just couldn't make their judgments stick based on this rule because it was too easy for 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 people to pick holes in it basically. Yeah. So they went away, they spent a good 6 months um putting this together. The the rule has been expanded from 200 words to something like I think 1400 words. It's very very detailed covering one would imagine pretty much every scenario that could possibly be covered um in in any sort of not even a non-trier situation, but any misjudgment situation or anything ru- roughly related at all. So the thought being that, right, going forward, it's going to be much easier for the turf club to make such judgments stick that even if it's appealed, even if they go to a, the, the, the punish that goes to a higher court, that the turf club will be able to stand over this and make it stick. Uh, it's a much better rule when you read it. It, it. it seems far, far superior to what they had. The question now going forward is, will the race day stewards be aggressive enough in implementing it? Will this represent a, a watershed moment for Irish stewarding? Um, because integrity is a big issue in Irish racing, uh, especially, and I'm happy to stand over this all day, especially in national hunt ra- Irish national hunt racing, um, it has a major image problem. It needs to be cleaned up and the stewards need to roll in now armed with this rule and start doing their job no matter how big or small the wrongdoer is. Go in and start nailing these guys that are messing because it's doing the the, the game no good whatsoever. Um, what goes on on a very, very regular basis. As a journalist and as a racing fan who promotes this sport and works on this podcast and writes throughout the races and appears on TV for ATO as well, it's widely regarded we're the best in the world at racing. We're the best in the world for jockeys, for trainers, for breeders. We've got some fantastic race courses. When this kind of stuff goes on, how frustrating is that for you? Oh, in terms of the integrity of the product, it seems like we're, we're way down the list in the, in the world. You know, like you say, there's some aspects of our game are absolutely world class, but this is not. Um, and even you know the rule is now in order, but the fact that when you it's when you think about it because we don't maybe don't think about it enough because it's it's been there so long that we just we just accept it. But the fact that you have ever changing groups of amateur stewards uh, coming in making these decisions, and I know there's a, a technically a professional stipendary steward in there to guide in inverted commas the the acting stewards. I'm just really uncomfortable with the fact that there's there's a lot of these guys in there that. Um, how good? How what is their race reading experience? They might be upstanding citizens and maybe you know have a have a successful stud farm or some background that um, makes them qualified to become a turf club steward. But <laughs> is that Charles? Charles, hello. No, this is Johnny Ward. Confusion. I lost. Lines must have got crossed there. Yeah, like I've, I would be a big fan of a, a panel of professional stewards sitting somewhere away from the race course to deal with all this. Because if you're going to police the sport properly, it, it will take quite a bit of time to go through races forensically to find what you need to find. And, you know, the stewards at the track have an awful lot to do in terms of running the race meeting. There is a lot to, for them to get through. If it were me, I would, I would leave the, the race to the stewards as they are. 
there to collect evidence to talk to trainers jockeys ask the questions that need to be asked but then they would relay the information they've collected onto a centralised panel of professional stewards and they can dish out the judgments because that would be the only way you can achieve real consistency because having these ever-changing panels you know the rules are very much open to interpretation what looks an non-trier to some people will not look like a non-trier to another person so the only the best way i think to achieve consistency is to have uh, a, basically a small number of minds making those decisions and you know when i've suggested this in the past people have said oh well you know what if uh, two members of that very small panel of professional stewards don't like JP McManus for example you know would that be fair on JP there'd be potential for, for bias in their in, in their decision making but it's a fair point uh, it is a, it's not an unreasonable point but I think you can draw from a draw from a small pool rather than having the same people there all the time maybe have a pool of 10 and 4 of them are on at any one day to, to you know try and prevent that happening but I think there's definite room for improvement and the same applies for England because they've got the same system there um, Irish racing is set up beautifully um, for them to lead the way with this and make it a, a centralised panel of professional stewards basically because there's there's comparatively very little racing in Ireland and we could do it without having to, to change the world Johnny on the back of these new rules that have been implemented are you confident that the stewards will be able to take action to a degree um, the, the, the the main indictment of the stewarding situation in Ireland is that uh, you nearly have to have a video of somebody being shot to actually get it through um, the appeals um, you know We've, some, we've had some outrageous cases and a lot of it is to do with Judge uh, Tony Hunt mm. um, who has presided over a lot of cases where he does seem to have a you know a, a judicial type way of looking at this in the sense of the, the judicial system outside of racing in that you know you, you, the burden of proof really it basically it has to be like beyond any reasonable doubt that it happened and I think we've got to be a bit more realistic here you know the pyromaniac uh, case was a bit of a shambles with the turf club which i understand ended up playing paying all the fees and mm. um, now anyone watching the pyromaniac case i'm not even going to talk about it actually and um, just look <laughs> at it and make up your own judgments um, and what we have now is i believe a stewarding system that has been flawed i have a lot of faith in the stewards in ireland i know them quite well and i do believe that it stems from frustration that even if they do bring uh, a horse in, say, for example, Noble Emperor, uh, you know, there was a 30-day ban dished out to Barry Garrity, um, which I felt was wrong. But obviously then that went to the courts, that went to the appeals court in, in the turf club and it was thrown out. Uh, we had the Fox Rock case, that didn't go through um, somehow. Uh, we had Pyromaniac, which failed. And I think the acting stewards feel grossly undermined um, I think there's a fear therein about actually calling people in because they don't want to be the stewards who yet again called the horse in, yet it was thrown out a few weeks later. Uh, I believe that their integrity is, is, is without question, and I think that they are trying to improve matters, and I was encouraged by what Ruby Wall said in support of the new measures. And what Kevin said on a recent blog, it shouldn't be such a taboo to bring somebody in. Ask mm. questions more often you know we can we can all see things differently just because you're called in does not mean there's any um suggestion of guilt and let's improve our stewarding system because i actually think we are getting better 
but I think we have a lot more to do and uh, I, I believe this will improve it but I, I do have sympathy for the, the acting stewards that was exactly the point I was just going to raise and it was the point that you made in your blog and it's just as Johnny said that it, there's almost a suspicion of immediate guilt mm. if you're brought in in front of the stewards it doesn't matter whether you're an elite trainer or a lower end trainer the second you're put in front of them immediately there's the wrong image there. There's a suspicion that oh, the only reason they've hauled you in is because you've done something wrong. And that shouldn't be the case. It should be a case of it's just they want to question you. They want yeah. to see, explain to us how this horse has improved. Explain to us why this horse didn't perform. And more often than not, there will be a genuine excuse and there will be a genuine explanation. But because of the current image and the perception, it just looks wrong. Yeah, and that would be my biggest hope going forward that they take that the turf club take this opportunity to d- start doing that. And no, like Johnny says, they definitely have got better. You know, anyone my my Facebook page is public when I put, when I posted up that column the other night, a huge discussion broke out underneath, and a lot of the negative comments you get when you tend to be right about the stewards and non triers in Ireland is, oh you know they only do the small man not the big man and I don't think that's necessarily the case you look at Noble Emperor you know Tony Martin JP, Tony Martin's been done numerous times and got off um, they've done a, a JP horse trained by Jessica Harrington who incidentally got off as well but the, the you know horses owned by Newton Anner I don't think it's a case that they're afraid to go after the big guys um, I just think that maybe not all of the stewards are as keen to go after them as others. There definitely are some stewards in there that are very determined to do their job. Um, but then, like Johnny says, it must be such a kick in, kick in the, the stones for them when they make a tough decision and it just gets laughed out by the, by the appeal body. Just think a little bit outside the box here, right? The, the, the Turf Club is very, very slow to move with the times. It doesn't even have a Twitter account, right, in Ireland. Okay. Yeah. Now, you made is that there point really any need... Is there really any need for a team of stewards to be at the races? Can we have a team externally who's looking at HD and looking mm-hmm. at the head-on in an office in Dublin? And if such and such jockey is called in, he can immediately go on Skype or, or chat to them over the phone, explain what happened, uh, instead of an overburdened group of stewards there on the day. You know, the days of stewards having to be at the races where they can probably get all this uh, access to information externally, mm-hmm. to me, is probably will come to an end at some stage. And we have to evolve with the times technology is better than ever you know you should have more video angles uh, I think this is a step forward but I think the turf club does need to reinvent itself and look at you know making dramatic changes rather than lagging behind the times which I think it has I think it'll help it won't be the be all and end all there have been plenty of English pundits who have made the exact same point for the BHA yeah it, it just seems to make sense you know I think with that the they tur- would be centralised in London with the turf club I think the turf club is essentially a bit of an old boys club and I think it's there's a lot of sort of what would you call it they like the fact that the members can go off to the races and be stewards you know there's a lot of prestige associated with it yeah. and I don't think they want to take away from that but like like Johnny says and like I was saying before that you know I think you you can still leave those race day stewards do their job there but leave the, the decisions on running and riding and what have you to a centralised panel full of you know, top class race readers, fellas that are doing the job day in, day out, that their interpretations are very much clear in their own minds. And that will be that will give consistency to everyone, one would hope. This all makes great sense and that a lot of great minds over here harp on about centralized stewarding and really, really are pushing for it. And generally the thing that keeps batting being batted back is how expensive it would be. Now, I do not know the details into why and how it would be the most expensive thing in the history of the world. But for me, 
if we're investing in anything in racing, it has to be the integrity. Yeah. Mm. People have to be able to trust what they're gambling on and what they're watching. And the further down this sort of backward route we go, the less people trust. Yeah. And if we took one massive step forward, and I know finances in racing, you know, is a tricky thing. I get it. But I just, I fully believe that if anybody has money to invest in any area of the sport, it has to be in the integrity. And for me, just what Kevin said, 10, a set of 10 people, centralized stewarding that work on a rotor that have, you know, a true and thorough understanding of the sport and what is proper and correct is the only way we can fully believe in what we see in the stewarding room for me. 100% agree with Vanessa. I wonder how much of this is the old guard. You refer to them as the old boys club. I'll be a little bit more respectful and say the old guard. (laughs) being reluctant for change of course there's that element you know and they've been historically very slow to change anything to not to embrace change like Johnny says they've had they've had a Twitter account the Turf Club um, it's existed for four years it's restricted <laughs> they, they follow they've tweeted once apparently and it's just sitting there yeah you know it's just sitting there use your Twitter account you know it's 2017 that's, my know, god a job for somebody your job is to be our Twitter master and uh, you know the, Vanessa's referring to there about um, cost I mean if if, if shorting isn't worth paying uh, people to do the job properly in time when SIS are putting the guts of 120 130 grand into a single meeting in Ireland at the moment yeah. of, a, of a certain ilk yeah. uh, maybe just start charging people to go into the race course that they can pay for it because I, I wouldn't buy that for a second and I know she doesn't as well that's rubbish we have to get integrity right yeah well look the BHA how much how many millions are they going to get out of this levy reform you know they'll probably go and pump it all of the prize money spare a couple of million lads and get the stewarding sorted out hasn't Alan King been making that point that what not necessarily about stewarding but that why is why is prize money the focus why aren't you doing more to secure the future of racing you know, you, people talk about trickle down and all that, but I, I don't buy into that. Especially this crack of pumping money into big races, you know, absolute rubbish. You rich, know, by all means, richer. by all means, raise the bottom bar. Yeah, uh, for the lower for the for the, the lower value races, they're the ones that, that you know, prize money increase could make something of an impact. But um, this crack of pumping money into the Cheltenham Festival and the likes of the Irish Grand National, it's, it's a load of rubbish in my mind. You know, that money could, and I know it's not necessarily money coming directly from the BHA or mm. or um, or HRI, but you know, integrity is so, so important and they really need to get their finger out on it and, yeah. and, and improve things in that regard. Briefly describe the Dunphy case. This is fascinating. Yeah, well, this one, everyone had forgotten about this. This was a big story at, um, at Ballon Row back in the day, all the way back in July 2013. This horse called Like a Diamond, trained by Sharon Dunphy, who I don't know if she'd even had a runner at that stage, was uh, running first time out of Ballon Row. Is that your phone? Oh, sorry, it is, yeah. Oh, for goodness sakes, man. Well, it is <laughs> silent. Um, Clearly not. Deirdre, like, I thought you had the rule implemented. I was just about to throw something at him. I was... <laughs> Go on. Will I start again? No! People are going to hear your mistake. Go on. Um, and basically, this horse, like a diamond, was to run in the maiden and was backed from 50 to 1 to 3 to 1. And everyone's going, who's this Sharon Dunphy? What's this horse? And then it was withdrawn. That's a little bit odd. And it transpired that the turf club had got wind um, that this horse may not be trained by Sharon Dunphy, that it may be trained by someone else. Um, so the horse was withdrawn pending further investigation. And that was pretty much the last thing we heard about it until the other day where the, the turf club sent out the press release that I 
I don't know why it took so long to sort it out. I get the impression from reading about the case that those involved um, weren't very cooperative. But we have our conclusions anyway. And basically, the Turf Club's case was um, this horse was trained by a person that was not Sharon Dunphy, that um, a guy called Joey Logan, who would be well known in the point-to-point fields. He actually just produced uh, Finian's Oscar um, recently and has put some very good horses through his hands. He, he was heavily involved in this horse. Wasn't an owner, technically, but heavily involved. And there was basically a whole lot of uh, a sequence of events. The horses was going away to work in, at the Curra and what have you. And Chris Hayes rode him out a few times. And basically, it was the Turf Club's evidence against the lad's word that this horse was trained by Sharon Dunphy but when you read the evidence you can draw your own conclusions the the verdict came in and they think that right they've decided right yeah this horse clearly wasn't trained by Sharon Dunphy there was a deception involved here with a view to landing a bit of a touch and um, basically Sharon Dunphy's been warned off for two years Uh, Joey Logan's been warned off for two years Um, Fabian Burke who was the man who was training the horse uh, was warned off for two years but that's suspended he works for McHalford at the moment, actually, but that that's suspended. Um, and I think Joey Logan is saying that he'll go all the way up the courts to try and clear his name here. So we haven't heard the last of it. Um, pity it took so long to sort out. Um, I don't know why it would have taken three and a half years to sort out a case like this, but there you go. I'm sure he had some reason for that. But not the last we've heard of it. Interesting case. But he, he will be going all the way. Name. He'll be going all the way to clear his so name. So he says. Finally on the Final Furlong Podcast... Let's talk about the football, shall we? Yeah, let's talk about the footy. <laughs> this is insane. This is so funny. James Dolman is a freelance legal tech reporter and he's got 20,000 followers. I imagine that 19,000 of them started following him in the last two days uh, because of his work uh, on a particular case. Johnny, you've been looking into this as well. This is a fascinating case involving a punter versus a bookmaker with regards to a bet, a relegation bet. It is. Um, this guy got wind of uh, the potential for Rangers to be in big stuck because of tax issues. They owe the taxman a lot of money. Um, I would advise anyone to look it up um, on on this guy's Twitter feed because it, it is really entertaining. And with regard to who's right or wrong here, I think you could probably argue for Carl and you could definitely argue for um, the pensioner who's trying to win his quarter of a million but yeah it's, it's a hundred it's a hundred pound bet at two thousand five hundred to one to one um what shines true to me is the questioning from the bookmakers uh, representatives uh, and the and the utter arrogance um that a guy who may know something could have a bet and and this is what i think is, is really telling here you know, Simon Clare said we normally offer two and a half thousand to one about something that more or less cannot happen. Right. Now, I would argue that Leicester was, you know, a similar price and it's not going to happen. But there's a small chance it might. Yeah. A very small chance, say one in a hundred thousand, something like that. To, to, to borrow the line from Dumb and Dumber, so you're saying there's a chance, right? Even one in a million is a chance, right? <laughs> the other thing is... They really probed him on the fact that he used to be a bookmaker and that he might have known something. And <laughs> how how dare and, he? How dare how he dare know he? something? You, the bookmaker has to offer odds on something that's happening. So, you know, sometimes they will get the odds wrong. Most of the time they won't. And there were there so many bizarre elements to it. There was the suggestion that the guy whose blog uh, prompted this pensioner to think that the range of situation might happen had an Irish name. 
so he mightn't exactly be pro Rangers. And I'm like, what has this got to do with anything? And the fact that this guy may have known something, uh, like as if this is, you know, Wall Street where insider trading cannot go on. Insider trading is what, you know, horse racing betting uh, has been built upon for years. And yeah. that's part of why we love it. You know, you just might know something because you train the horse, for argument's sake. And, and, and Johnny, so, sorry, the, the bookmakers will actually promote the fact that, oh, there's a huge gamble on this big owner's horse and we've sure. had to take action. And and if you, if you do get in on it, whether you've wrung me and said, Emmett, I've spoken to the trainer, this thing's a good thing, you know, have a, get the wheelbarrow, sort it out, get ready for the gravy. Or if I've watched out the races and there's a bookmaker's representative saying, we've had to take evasive action here, all the money's coming in. There are people, and I've been one of those people back in the day, you feel like you're on the inside. You feel like you're part of a coup. The bookmakers are happy to promote that. Yeah, they're obviously happy also to take cheap money on a horse that they've already cut in price. And, you know, a lot of people uh, will sort of deal with the notion that, oh, well, the owner is on. There must be something going on here. I yeah. have my view, Bob, on that, which invariably will be a bad bet. Yeah. The, the, what shines through from this whole thing is that Coral um, basically believes if you have the temerity to go into one of their shops and potentially have uh, a, 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 a quote that is wrong and is the wrong price, how bloody dare you? And we only want you in this shop, like Bedfred and everyone else, if you want to be on the fob tees or having a five reach way on your guaranteed odds, because basically we have no interest in accommodating anyone who might have a good opinion and who might beat us. I, it's I so really funny as well it. because you know there's been a lot of comparisons made with uh, Leicester winning the Premier League. You know they were two thousand five thousand to one, whatever it was. And when that happened, of course, all the bookmakers were out. You know said, "Oh, we got absolutely hammered by Leicester winning the league. Oh, we can't believe it. We lost this. We took X." In reality, that was almost certainly an absolutely stonking result. Of course it was for the bookmakers. Of course it was. And now think of the amount of money that was on on the others. Yeah. It was on United for Louis van Gaal. It was on Arsenal, Manchester City. Yeah, and they'll take that PR and they'll play it. Oh, look at us poor bookmakers took a right hammering. And now this happens where they probably only laid one bet, <laughs> one yeah. bet in the market, a hundred pound yeah. at two thousand five hundred to one, and they they won't pay and they end up in court. You know, come on, let's take your beating. Take your beating. You got caught out. They got well, caught I out. Really and it, I really hope this guy wins. Because bookmakers take the mick with their with a lot of their terms and conditions, and they they rob a lot of people. A lot of people lose out unfairly because they bookmakers aren't really regulated in this regard, and they can take the mick with their terms and conditions. And they're trying to wiggle out of this one. They're trying to wiggle out yeah. of their quarter of a million. And I hope I I'm really hoping I'm following this case so closely just because it's, it's parts of it are just so funny. Professor Professor Vaughan Williams, come on lads, come on. <laughs> thing about this right he didn't I, i'm not a big fan of like um of punters giving out about bookmakers when the bet is clearly of a sneaky nature or yeah, yeah. something like that the, what this guy did was he basically got the bet checked he, he he had a bet that they'd be relegated he deemed that the information wasn't public domain which it was mm -hmm. so he asked he wasn't really doing anything sneaky and some of the questions that they put at him suggested that there was so much underhand going on, which which I thought was quite disgusting, really, because the probity of the man in question to me uh, was, was, was there was no issue with it whatsoever. He was trying to have what he deemed to be a very good bet. Yeah. And basically, it, if, if I were to bring it up, one of the best bets I ever had was on a Stewart's Inquiry at Wexford last year, and I was able to benefit from the fact that there was no replay on at the races of a head-on. 
And because the, the inquiry went on so long, the horse uh, who'd actually won the race initially kept um, shortening the bet to hold on. And the more I looked at the replay, the more I thought, you know, this this really has to be thrown out, or at least is a very good chance. I was probably benefiting from being in a privileged situation uh, on that occasion. That's how betting works. Sometimes you yeah. know something, you know. And and for Coral, just basically they illustrated what bookmakers um, exist for today, complete and utter mug punting, and they've no interest in anyone who might know anything. I don't know if it was mathematically impossible for them to get relegated technically at that stage, but it probably wasn't far from it. Mm. But this guy saw an angle, took a chance, and right. he got it right. Yeah. Vanessa, you were going to make a point? Before we start recording this podcast, Kevin told us to go back and look at the timeline. And I spent, it's like a good 20 minutes reading through two days worth. But basically... The fir- the morning session, absolutely what Johnny said. The way they use coral chaps are questioning this pensioner as to how much involvement he's had in gambling and betting in the past is absolutely like it's just outrageous. It's got nothing to do with that, whether it's the first time he's been in the betting shop or whether he's been a bookmaker for 40 years. He can have 100 quid on whatever hmm. they are happy to give him a price at. You know, I just thought that was so shallow and poor of them to the next- go at that hits the nail in the head there and and what you also should look at is this hysteria over the fact oh my god do you do you normally carry 100 pounds yes. <laughs> that was unbelievable what? <laughs> i can't believe that so anyone who's having any more than a five reach way now is like you know who is this person and and, and the qc the the defense qc questioning him and saying do you owe money to people if if you get paid out on this, will you have to pay? Yeah, you know, pay try, back try any debts. Trying to cast aspersions on the man's character. Yeah, that's. I just the, that's the, the QC the now, by the way. But I just can't believe they brought in this at, Professor Vaughan Williams as an expert because if anyone follows this lad on Twitter, you know why I say that. Uh, it's quite it's quite funny if you, and if you read back through the tweets, the the tweeting the, the evidence, it's so funny because they they bring in this guy as their expert witness, right? And they describe about how he's a. Uh, a professor and he's an expert in betting and all that and I think the first one of the first questions that he's asked is you know basically what did you he, he wrote this report on the whole situation on behalf of Coral yes and uh, they asked him right what did you base this report on and, and he says um, he wrote he wrote his report based on documentation and at which point it, <laughs> the solicitor then points out that in the report he had the wrong date for the liquidation of Rangers <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. And the, the, oh, that's brilliant. the final the final nail in the coffin of the Coral stupidity lot is that they whipped out the article that Coral had on their own website. So the whole argument is what the word relegation officially means in the dictionary. They're trying to and argue that it was demoted. Yeah, rather than relegated and the bet is based on relegation essentially. And uh, the headline of the article is Rangers back in the big time after relegation. <laughs> And then they are trying to not get out of paying a bet that was based on Rangers being relegated. Uh, I mean, it's just beggar's belief, but it's classic viewing if you take 20 minutes of your time to yeah. go back and read it. But, 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 a freelancer wrote that. It was nothing to do with oh, us. Nothing, yeah, nothing yeah. to do. Nothing to do with us. <laughs> oh, it's just gold. The man's, the man's name, and, and he, he asked, he had to ask for permission to be allowed live tweet this and was granted that permission by the judge. He's a freelance legal and tech reporter. His name is James Dolman. I'll happily mention his website. It's byline.com. Jamesdolman.contently.com as well. Highly recommend that you follow him and highly recommend that you go back over his tweets from the last two days. It could be three days by the time you're listening to this. Two days. Um, it's, oh, yeah. it's a lot of reading. 
but it is yeah, just totally worthless. It is fascinating. <laughs> it is absolutely fascinating, and I don't know who's going to win. I honestly, genuinely, do not know which way this is going to go. Oh, I think he's. I think Kinlock is going to win. I reckon Kinlock has got this, it, hasn't he? I I don't know how does this work. Is this in front of a jury or is it no, the judge's no, no, decision? No, 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 it's judge's decision. Oh, I think you got to give it to Kinlock. Yeah, the judge did. How would you back price up. it up? Ooh, a bet fair market and this will be fun. <laughs> Come on, lads. Coral market? <laughs> <laughs> They'll claim palpable no matter what happens. <laughs> uh, that's that. Anything else you want to mention before we wrap up? About Thurlis tomorrow. One very quick point. The race may well have happened by the time you're listening to this, but the Hunter's Chase, fantastic race. Fox Rock on his own, first lieutenant, locking horns. Not one of them are qualified for Cheltenham. So if you see them in an anti-post market after this race, ring up your bookmaker and abuse them. <laughs> and if you happen to have back them already for the Fox Hunters or any other Hunters chase in England ring up your bookmaker abuse them and get your money back because this is just silly the final for all the podcast is not condone abusing bookmakers abuse them all and while I'm at it talking about bookmakers and prices I see still do you recall a few weeks ago and get in one of our listeners actually Ali rang in um, sorry rang in on the line with Matt Chapman and t- said he had two horses in training with Willie Mullins and the conversation went on and he said that he'd back this horse for the champion bumper and he was going to he was going to run a Christmas and he was going to win the champion bumper Chapman asked him what's the horse's name he said no shoes laden right and sure enough this horse is quoted in a couple of places for the champion bumper and based on Twitter exchanges a few people then went on and backed this horse turns out it was an absolute piss take the horse doesn't <laughs> exist your man was We're having a laugh uh, your man was having a laugh at the expense of two, two of his two fellow two lads he exchanges tweets with on Twitter oh, he, and he's still there me. William Hill have a minute 30 to shoot the one after Chapman said and on the line weeks ago that this horse doesn't actually exist. He literally... he. It, we're not taking the mick. We're not doing a melon on it. This horse does not exist. And Matt has said this on At The Races. Yes, and he's tweeted about it. And William Hillard there turned the street to one for no shoes laden. Come on, lads. This is like the time... Hop on to yourself. This is like the time Boise was on duty and there was a, a novice chase on that ATR were covering. And it was early in the season. The race was run. He read out an email. Due to the fact that this horse is trained by Paul Nichols and was such an impressive winner and Paul's phenomenal record at the Cheltenham Festival, we have been inundated with requests before the race and given how impressive he was, we've had to cut him. We know the race is months away, but we've had to cut the horse for the RSA chase. What was the problem? Not a novice. The horse didn't run. The email came through five minutes after the race was run and the horse Uh, was a non-runner. Pre-written email. Yeah, pre-written email. (laughs) So, So... Boise just looked it was the old days when the booth remember the ATR booth oh, yes yeah. Boise just Boise looked at the camera folded the email and said now I'm not going to mention this particular bookmaker's <laughs> name but I will mention it unless I get a particular uh, <laughs> let's see a little bit of gravy is sent our way uh, let's say him again Koshari is still quoted by a couple of bookmakers for the Supreme Novices Hurdle the horse isn't a novice lads oh, cop on to yourselves we're going to talk about the Irish Champion Hurdle next week. Johnny, is Faheen going to run? I don't think so, although he, look, he's quite strong for uh, the Champion Hurdle on Bedford at the moment. Yeah, he is. You think he's not going to turn up at Leopardstown next week? I, I, I don't see that with any conviction. I think uh, by the time you're listening to this and we may be able to speak to Willie uh, uh, at Thurless, I think we may know a little bit more. Um, but uh, I would, if I were betting, I'd say he won't. But uh, not with great conviction. Hopefully he does. We're going to be there. Irish Champion Hurdle Day. Very much looking forward to it. Kevin's going to be there. Johnny's going to be there. More importantly, Vanessa Ryle is going to be there. Leopardstown for Irish Champion Hurdle Day. And, of course, the small matter of the Irish Oracle with Min 
and hopefully identity thief gets an identity well. thief yeah, like hopefully. with a Lazarus like comeback yeah after that awful what looked like an awful injury it'd be nice to see him back in action thank you so much for your time and thank you for listening to the Final Frontline Podcast we do hope you enjoyed it and found it some Whoa. way entertaining Whoa. and informative Whoa. what Vanessa Ryan? <laughs> I'm just terribly upset we haven't spoken about the weekend racing. We are out of time, Vanessa. We were going to bring on Matt Damon as a guest as well, but unfortunately we've got to leave Matt in the green room. Give us the nap, Vanessa. Uh, Irving in the champion hurdle trial. Lammy Serge's favourite and uh, he doesn't like winning races. Irving <laughs> does and he's grade one winner last time out and he is about twice the price or something stupid. He'll win. Carlingford Lock will win. Uh, sorry, Carlingford Lock. What? what about? He definitely won't win. Kyle Moore Lock in their bet 365 handicap chase and all aboard under so Armad's load of hype yeah under so is going to absolutely crush Armad at the weekend by the way I'm very much looking forward to seeing that particularly for at the race of stable stars because I badly need points to consolidate my position at the top of the league uh, the other point to make is best luck to the Whitakers who listen to the show and follow us on Twitter and their dad is part owner of Irving and Vibrato, uh-huh. Vibrato Valtat, but we won't mention him. Um, but they told us he would win the fighting fifth. And of course we went, that's what he's talking about. Not, not the chance. And he goes and gets his job done. So best of luck to them. Although if he turns up, I'll probably be with Ivan Grozny. Sorry, lads, but best of luck to you at the weekend. It's going to be a, a cracking race. And of course, Ascot as well will be a fantastic race too. We will review all of this uh, on next week's Final Furlong podcast. We'll also preview the Irish Champion Hurdle and the Irish Arkle as well in the company of hopefully uh, all of the team. Mr. Kevin Blake, thank you very much for your time, sir. Thank you, sir. And good luck. Producer Deirdre, best of luck editing this. I just want to know who Denise is. <laughs> <laughs> I've been on to Denise. She's not happy about this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is good. Hasht- hashtag who's Denise? It could be a bit dangerous up at Leopardstown now. <laughs> my my you world know, is caving know. in. Cheers, Johnny Ward. I have a funny feeling that Deirdre is going to be sitting closer to Johnny and myself than Kevin when it, when it comes to Irish Champion Hurdle. Right, a good thing going there. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. We'll see if we'll see if Denise turns up Jeremy Kyle style oh, on the day. That could make things pretty interesting. Uh, my oh, thanks Lord. to Mr. Johnny Ward from the Irish Independent. Thank you very much. And to the one and only Vanessa Ryle. Thanks very much, guys. It's been a pleasure. And Vanessa, very much looking forward to being over with you for Get In on the 3rd of February. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm on that. Yeah. That'll be good. <laughs> oh, it's, it's just too far away for you. You've got such a busy social calendar that you're not even thinking about it yet. Sorry, do you know what? I just got distracted. Can I tell you why I got distracted? Go for it. Because someone has tweeted me. Kevin's eating Maltesers, so you might as well. Go on. Yeah, someone has tweeted me with the exact wording, you're like the perfect girlfriend. And bud. I, bud. No, no bud. <laughs> That's just it. It's shocking on every rev- on every level, but I might just frame this one. Sure, it's, sure it's not a two-pair tweet and he's a really slow typer? And on Actually, that... Do you know what it could be? And on that bombshell, we are done. Very much looking forward to being back with Luke and Jason for getting on the 3rd of February. Before that, we'll be back next week to preview the Irish Champion Hurdle. Thank you so much for all the kind words on social media for last week's podcast. Oh. Hopefully you enjoyed this one as well. We will chat to you again next week on AtTheRaces.com. From all of us, have a great week. We will chat to you next time on the Final Forum Podcast. God bless. Have you downloaded the free At The Races app yet? With easy-to-use race cards and form, Expert daily tips, plus video replays and in-app betting with Bet365, Coral, Labrooks and William Hill. It's the app that no racing fan's phone should be without. Available for free on your iPhone or Android mobile. Visit attheracescom forward slash app for more details.